Hey, welcome back to What We Started EDM, where we speak with producers, DJs, labels, managers, really anyone in the EDM industry that can help us learn and grow. I'm your host, Ted, and I talk EDM. Today, we speak with Harris, a producer that focuses on how his music makes others feel. In this episode, we talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with other successful artists. We talk about collabing with vocalists and producers. We talk about getting your music onto labels. You do not want to miss this episode. I'm here with Harris, and I'm excited. I just want to get started by learning more about you. Like, what's your background, and how did you get started in music in the first place? Yeah, so um, it's kind of like a, a long story. Um, you know, I, I kind of come from a family of musicians, so <clears throat> growing up, um, you know, growing up in Maine, small town, my dad was part of a band. His band would play everywhere, and, you know, being, you know, being his son, I'd just kind of go everywhere with him. So I was kind of exposed to music at a very young age. Um, and, you know, this was all like rock stuff, you know, rock and blues. So not really electronic music. That wasn't until later. But, um, you know, stemming from that, just seeing how much fun he would have hanging out with his friends, you know, just playing music kind of inspired me to get into it. So um, him and my brother, um, you know, we we just start messing around. I was actually, you know, ended up playing drums for myself for a long time, you know, started in the jazz bands at school, started playing saxophone kind of just doing you know whatever I could to kind of feel what playing live music is like and then um you know that you know that led me down a big rabbit hole of you know what is like what is playing piano feel like what is you know doing this what is playing you know like electronic music feel like and so kind of you know I really do owe it all to my dad and my family with you know kind of how I got my start so awesome man how did you get started in production specifically like making music on your computer oh yeah dude that's like that's a crazy <laughs> question so it's kind of a funny story so I, I remember so when i was the first time i was ever exposed to kind of edm or you know djing or anything like that when i was in eighth grade and skrillex of all people came to maine and did a show and like nobody does like any edm shows in maine like i'm talking literally nobody so and you know i didn't even know what electronic music was at the time um, my brother was a big fan, and so I decided to go with him. And I just remember walking in, and it was in an arena, right? And this is the middle of nowhere, Maine, so it's kind of like you wouldn't even expect anyone to actually be there. So you walk in, and it, like the it's packed, and you know there's just a guy DJing, and you know it wasn't Skrillex on yet, but you know, and just being able to see that that music could bring that many people together, especially you know a genre of something I wasn't really familiar with really opened my eyes to kind of like, okay, you know, I really want to do this. You know, the music was awesome. And then, you know, Skrillex came on and it was just, it was so inspiring to see, you know, just how many people could actually like scream and, you know, just, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just, it was just a surreal moment. But from that moment onward, I, I, um, you know, I went back and went on my school laptop and, and started messing around with GarageBand and made probably, you know, the worst, <laughs> the worst thing you could ever imagine. Um, you know, it probably took me an hour just to make like a kick drum pattern, but it was, it was really fun. And, uh, and I mean, after that, I just kind of started doing that stuff and, uh, was really focusing on, you know, tr- trying to get better because that's, that's the one thing I feel like the music has an advantage of over other hobbies is that no matter if you're working on it, you're actively getting better. Um, which I, which I thought was really interesting. So, 
every time I'd open up, you know, GarageBand or whatever it was at the time, I'd always like see myself getting better. Um, and so that's kind of when I got into production. I didn't really start taking it seriously and trying, you know, to actually make, you know, good music until like later on in high school or college. But um, yeah, I, I would say that what got me into production was just seeing Skrillex on that stage with like thousands of people. And um, that kind of, you know, was really inspiring for me. So, yeah, man. And a place like Maine, too, where Maine has a very small population, I'm sure you know. Yeah. And this, I mean, like, dude, like all of Maine's population lives in like this one little section or like not all of it, but you know, like a majority of it is in Southern Maine. And it's like, since that concert, there's only been one more, like, like Steve Aoki played there one time, like three years ago. It's, so it's like, I don't know why Skrillex played there. And it just, it just seems like such a, like, I don't know, for me, it feels like that was, that was a moment that was supposed to happen because it doesn't make sense why it did happen. That's how I like to look at it. That's crazy. There's only been in the past your life. There's only been two EDM events at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so he was the only one at the, at that actual big venue. The other ones were just smaller. Um, and there might have been like one more. I think there was an Alice in Wonderland concert as well. But si- I mean, since I'm not even kidding you, since like 2017, there's probably been one or zero like of actual like big name DJs or that electronic acts crazy. coming through. Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming you don't produce in GarageBand anymore, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Definitely graduated from that. <laughs> yeah. What do you What yeah. do you use now, and when did you make that switch? Yeah. So the dude, I love telling this story. So you know, it was GarageBand, and then you know, a lot of people go from GarageBand into Logic, but then like you know, you get the people saying like, "Oh, well, that's just GarageBand 2.0," like blah blah blah, and you know, kind of hating on it. So um, I actually switched to FL Studio when I was when I was in high school, and I was like, after I'd you know kind of figured out how to actually make a beat, I just you know GarageBand just wasn't really cutting it, and then, uh, so you know I switched to FL Studio. I think my sophomore year of high school, and I mean still at this point, I mean like I could make a beat right, but it wasn't good really. You know, it was like it was still such a learning curve. So I switched to FL Studio, and I was a diehard FL Studio fan. Like I'm. I would like, I would like, I would die to to defend FL Studio. And then I went to, then I got to college and I ended up going to school for music at Berkeley and, and I was in like the, you know, electronic music program or whatever. And they were diehard Ableton users. And I, I, I literally did not want to switch so bad that I like went, I went to the head of the, of the major and I was like, you guys need to start teaching FL Studio. It's like way better than Ableton. And he's like, yeah, just leave my office. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. So then uh, then I ended up switching to Ableton. And I was like so, I just didn't know how to use it at all. And I was getting so mad for like the first two or three weeks of using it. But then, I don't know, something clicked. And I was like, you know, this is actually way better than FL Studio and Logic and all this stuff. But there is like a steeper learning curve. So now, opposite side of the spectrum. I'm so completely diehard Ableton. It's like not even funny. I, I won't even. I won't even open FL or Logic or anything else. It's like I, now. So it's funny. I was so diehard FL Studio, and then I switched, and now I'm like completely did a 180. I'm like, oh, dude, you need to get Ableton. You need to get Ableton. Just dish Logic. You you know. It's a, it's like it's a, it's a pretty funny thing. But yeah, Ableton for life now. Yeah, not awesome. So you went to school for music. What did you learn there? Yeah, so it's it's always funny kind of talking about Berkeley in itself is because 
there's a lot of mixed opinions of it. Um, I feel like a lot of people, like, you know, really, if you tell anyone you go to music school, they're going to be like, oh, well, it's a waste of a degree, you know, or like, you know, something like that. But really what you really learn at Berkeley is, is, is more so than like the education itself is kind of how to, it's, I don't know how to, it's, it's like an intangible thing. It's like almost how to carry yourself in a room of songwriters and in a room of producers and how to actually, how to actually crank out music and actually get it done. Um, you know, obviously I learned, you know, I, I'm, I learned how to build plugins. I learned how to, you know, make better music, but it wasn't really the classes that taught you how to make good music. It was the classes that kind of showed you, you know, techniques you could apply, but then really, you know, it's, it, it was more of a, it was more of a social learning thing. I feel like, um, which I, th- I think is, is a lot more powerful than, than technical skills and, you know, and techniques is because you can kind of apply it, you know, in your own, in your own way. Um, but I mean, that, that being said, I went into Berkeley being very, very subpar at production and I didn't want to, I didn't want to listen to like what I made back then. Um, so I definitely did learn a lot, but I, I would say it was definitely more of like a, definitely more learning socially and like kind of, kind of awareness and how to carry yourself and kind of, I don't really know if that makes sense, but it's, it's, it's hard to explain. I, I guess the best way to put it is to me, I learned more than just getting an education in music. You know, it was, it was, it was way more than that. It was a lot of, a lot of life skills in general, as well as, you know, getting the music stuff, which I think, you know, just you learn over time, but I don't know if that, if that made sense. I was just kind of yapping there, but yeah. Yeah, man. I'm sure you met a lot of people there too, right? Oh yeah. I mean, that was the biggest thing. So it's like, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of people say that Nashville or LA is, is just Berkeley 2.0, and it's so true. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, like all the people I met there are the people I work with. You know, it's like one of my best friends, Jonathan. He's like, you know, we have like a pop production together, and that's you know, um, what's you know, we're doing a majority of our time with. We'll you know make a lot of our songs together. He, you know, he does a lot of my vocal production stuff like that. And then you know, I've met people there who do like video and photo, and like they're like you know, it's it's just kind of weird because you go into it knowing that you're going to be around a lot of creatives and like the one thing they always say about going to a music school in general is you know you're really there to make the connections and it's it's you don't really realize it when you're there because you just become friends with people you don't think of it as you know oh seeking out connections and stuff once you're out of berkeley you realize like how many people you know are doing like big things or writing these big songs or like are in these rooms and that you know will need to reach out to you you know, in the future for help or something. So it, it's definitely a weird thing, but yeah, I mean, I would say I met, you know, not only my best friends, but my best, you know, collaborators and, and, you know, people who I, I feel like who are going to be running the industry, you know, in a few years there. So it's so exciting, man. Yeah, dude, it was, it's pretty sick. Yeah. Have you, you said you worked with a few of them, right? On music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like the, t- so my two favorite, I would say, favorite people to work with are so my friend Jonathan Plummer and he uh I mean you know since since meeting him we've started a pop production duo called Playhouse you know we're doing a lot of stuff just for you know pop artists and kind of the more commercial space um but you know he works on all my on all my tracks with me pretty much um in terms of like songwriting you know arrangement that stuff and then um you know I met one of my best friends Aaron there and he's a crazy you know EDM producer um you know really good mix engineer and then uh, one of my best friends Nicole I kind of I kind of overuse her voice at this point. I think 
because she's just so good at singing and top lining and everything. So, but I mean, we have like, you know, four or five songs together and we have a few more coming and I feel kind of bad because I'll, I'll just randomly, I'll be like, Hey, Nicole, do you want to sing on this song? And I feel like she reluctantly says yes, just because she's like, yes, but you know, we do have like five other ones we're working on right now. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I still work with pretty much, you know, all my friends there are my collaborators, you know, my friend Elliot, he's like, you know, really into the house scene and DJing and stuff like that. And, you know, we just, we work on a lot of music, you know, for ourselves or, you know, to pitch to DJs and stuff like that. So it's just a really, it's a really cool thing to be able to have, you know, some of your best friends be people, you know, that you continue working on music with and, um, you know, do things with. So I think that's really cool. Definitely, man. And it's so important to have a community of other people around you too. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's, def- that's definitely one of those things that I feel like not a lot of people understand is that you know you can always make kind of good music on your own but if you want to be successful you really need to surround yourself with you know people that have similar goals or like a similar mindset at least you know and just and want you know and like you know are kind of pushing to be you know the best version of themselves you know musically and just in life in general so it's definitely it's definitely great and that's the thing I loved about Berkeley too is that there's a really really great sense of community Um, you know I will say not all the time because there definitely was a little edge of competition you know because obviously everyone is kind of like reaching for here but you know not everyone's going to get there you know because you know you may uh, you know for whatever reason you know you just may not get to where you want to be you know at least within that time frame but um, it's really good kind of to have everyone kind of striving for the same thing and you know be willing to help out instead of you know I guess like I don't know going against you you know it's so it's kind of it is it is really important I think that was a great thing there yeah good for motivation too I'm sure yeah, it's, 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 I mean, sometimes you definitely kind of get like the mindset of, oh, dude, like I am so bad at music because everyone else here is doing like these great things. But then once you get past that initial, you know, oh, these people are better than me. And instead of looking at it like that, it, it should be, oh, wow, I'm, I'm around these people. I can learn from them and I can actually, you know, instead of being, I don't want to say, insecure but instead of being kind of angry that maybe they're ahead of where you think you are at the moment it's it's and that's one of the valuable things I learned is that it's not really a competition especially because you guys are all on the same team you know it's like you're not going against anyone in the music industry you know really ever because it's just one collective industry I mean you know you can make the argument oh well like Drake's trying to sell more you know than Taylor Swift (laughs) like you know like all that stuff but really I mean if you think about it like you're kind of all on the same page. So I think once that mindset changed for me, um, it, it definitely changed how I was kind of outlooking, you know, music and life in general. But yeah, that's a great thing too. Yeah, man. It's like a little fish in a big pond rather than the opposite. You know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. It's like, yeah, dude. It's a, especially, especially when you like enter, like when I entered into Berkeley and I, I saw like, I don't know, just like some of my friends had like millions of listens and like millions of streams and like, which to someone who is just starting out is like so much. And it's like, you almost want to immediately be like either. So, the you know, it's kind of like a fight or flight. It's either like, oh my gosh, I need to get better and like spend every night in the studio. Or it's like the flight reaction is like, oh my gosh, I should just quit music right now. And I feel like, I feel like there's not a lot of in between after that, like initial shock. Um, but yeah, it, it's that's just like a yeah, a funny thing for sure. Yeah, man. So you said you entered music school and you were not very happy with the way your music sounded, right? Oh yeah. So 
I mean, I, I feel like it's because I'm from a small town in Maine, right? And like, it's it's just hard to describe because you go from, you know, I mean, like we had a music program, right? But there wasn't really any like music kids, you know? I would say I was like one of like the three music kids who like, I mean, like, you know, I did sports and other things, but it was it was mostly like music was kind of my passion. And I feel like I was like the only one, at least at my school at the time, to recognize that it was my passion. So you go from like being not the number one, like, you know, in your school, like in terms of talent, but like really like the only passionate one about music. Right. And you go from there thinking that like, you know, oh, because I can like actually make a beat and, and not everyone at my high school can that that, that makes me really good. <laughs> but it doesn't. It's like it's so it kind of gives you like a false sense of like self, which I feel like is really important not to have the false sense, but it's important to kind of center yourself after going to school, which is why I was able to kind of shift my mindset when I got to Berkeley. And I was like, oh, dude, you know what? This music really <laughs> isn't that good comparatively. Like I kind of I kind of have an ego that kind of needs to be checked a little bit. <laughs> so um, it's like that happens for like a lot of people. Um, but then, you know, my mindset wasn't, you know, these people are way better than me. I should quit music. It was like, I really need to be spending my time actually practicing and you know rather than you know like posting you know posting stuff I'm not proud of or you know just like just I don't know basically just I guess trying to show off if that makes sense that it would be way easier and beneficial for myself if I just kind of you know start hanging out with people working on music just kind of letting it happen rather than trying to force it um, or you know force myself to you know you know dislike people who you know are actually actually getting you know streams on their music or actually sounding good you know so it was definitely a definitely like a weird thing but yeah no I was not really happy with the music I was making going into it um and I, I think that was also a good thing I think I think it's kind of a good thing not not to not be proud of yourself but to kind of check yourself every once in a while you know because I, I feel like music especially is one of those things where like you know you could be riding a high making like the best music of your life and then you kind of hit like a slump for no reason or like you just become uncreative for some reason which can, you know, kind of hinder your abilities to actually, you know, produce good music. Um, so I feel like, you know, kind of checking yourself every once in a while is, is definitely a good thing. But yeah, I was not, definitely not happy with what I was making going into Berkeley. I was at the time because I thought it was really good, you know. And like, I'm sure there was some sort of like, I, I'm sure you could like hear the passion in there somewhere, but you definitely can't hear like the skill and like, you know, the technicalities of it. But um, yeah, I'd definitely say a lot happy a lot more happy with it now so yeah yeah man it was a humbling experience going from your small high school to berkeley but a good one and inspiring and you took it the right way too yeah it was definitely definitely humbling like 100 percent. and i think yeah it's i mean it's kind of like within your first year at berkeley a lot of people drop out because they either one realize that music really isn't for them which you know like that's okay, you know, but I feel like everyone feels that. And then it's kind of, if you switch your mindset to, you know, okay, I have so much to learn and I'm at the best place in the world to learn all this and to meet those people to learn, then, you know, you should, you should be able to kind of take a step back and say, you know, kind of humble yourself be like, all right, I know that I am small fish here. I'm not, you know, I'm not cranking out these, you know, hit songs or, you know, I'm not really, you know, you just have to kind of shift your mindset and, um, but it was definitely, definitely humbling for me, especially when you go into like those feedback sessions, you know, Berkeley would bring in a bunch of these top A&Rs from like, you know, Warner Music, all this stuff. And yeah. you hear like, you know, the seniors playing their songs, right? And it's like, 
they, you know, I was like, oh, dude, I want to sign this. And then you play your song <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, uh, was there even a kick drum in that? Like, cause the mix is so bad. <laughs> and it's like, so yeah, definitely a humbling experience. But I mean, you know, I think, I think Berkeley itself and like that whole experience kind of toughened me up and kind of, you know, kind of introduced me to a different mindset, which I like going back to what I said earlier, I think was almost more important than, you know, any of the technical skills I learned, but yeah, definitely humbling overall. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, at what point from then when you entered Berkeley, did you get to a point where you're like, my music's starting to sound good. I want to start putting it out. Yeah, that's a good question. So it was around my, my second, well, yeah. Ray. Okay. So COVID hit during my first semester or my first, my second semester at Berkeley, like, you know, March. And at the time I was still releasing music under my, you know, my real name, which is Max Harris. That's where I got Harris from, obviously. But, um, there's just something about it. I just, it, I felt like I kind of, not that I outgrew my own name because I feel like, you know, you can't really do that, but it just felt like the music I was putting out and kind of the vibe I had and everything just wasn't really who I was because, you know, through the first two years of Berkeley, you know, you go through a lot, you know, mentally, socially, emotionally, whatever. And it just felt like I didn't really want my music to be attached to, to my like actual name. So then it was around like, 2020 yeah this is like fall of 2020 um well i guess we'll backtrack to like spring of 2020 so this is like a year after covid hit we finally get to go back on campus you know masks and everything um but we're allowed to work on music again in person which is like the the greatest thing and i just started kind of writing and and making these songs that were not like you know my my old vibe like under when i was releasing under max harris was kind of you know dance pop very happy very upbeat um, kind of representing where I was at in my life then. And then, you know, I don't really know necessarily what happened. There's really nothing to, to pinpoint it, but I just kind of wanted to dig deeper and, you know, really ask myself, you know, like if I'm making music and I'm passionate about it, then I feel like whoever listens to this music, it should be able to help them in some sort of way. So that's kind of when I started experimenting with like, you know, like kind of more emotional pop slash, you know, future bass, melodic, you know what? I don't really know what you want to call it. I feel like it kind of sits in its own space. A little bit but definitely you know like the pop influenced kind of singer songwriter you know i guess you know whatever you want to call it um so it wasn't until like january of 2020 when i really started kind of trying to work on you know you know that sort of music and that's when i met that's when i met my friend jonathan who i mentioned earlier and nicole and so you know we would all work on a song and you know i still i will say i'm not, not the very best songwriter still which is why i like you know going to jonathan to help me a lot um, but he was able to write the song called What Would It Mean With Me and Nicole. And then that ended up being the first song I released <clears throat> under Harris, which was like, you know, kind of a bit a big thing for me because, you know, we got assigned to like an indie label and, you know, it, it was just like, I, it was kind of just a surreal experience. And that's kind of when I knew that that's the type of, not necessarily that's the type of music, but that, you know, I guess the essence of Harris as a whole kind of was starting to come to life. And that's when I realized that that's what I should be doing. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that I haven't, you know, been working on like, you know, more like house or more pop inspired tracks lately, but like at its core, Harris is like a very emotional, a very, you know, like kind of raw, um, I guess, pro- I hate the word project because I think it's stupid, but I guess Harris is like a reflection of me, which is like, you know, I'm a very emotional, like kind of raw person. So that's kind of when it started coming to life of what I should focus on and, and kind of how I should, you know, be trying to not help others with my music, but 
just kind of share like, you know, my experience or, you know, even Jonathan's experiences, you know, and, or even Nicole's experiences or like, you know, really just kind of share an experience that I feel like people could relate to, um, you know, cause I think music is healing. And I think, you know, whether that's a sad song, a happy song, you know, whether that's like some like 990 BPM, like hardcore techno song, um, you know, so it's like, I guess that's to, oh, geez, to kind of answer your question. That's kind of how, I kind of realized, you know, I should start releasing music is after I had those songs. And I was like, I, I just feel like the, the message of this song, like these songs in particular are a little bit too strong to kind of keep to yourself. And, you know, I feel like everyone should kind of feel that way about their music, you know, is that you should want to share your story with the world and like your message with the world. You know, what, even if it's just an instrumental track, you know, like there's so much emotion and there's so much like authenticity in every song, you know, that, that you write, whether, you know, you're writing it with that intent or not. Um, and I feel like a lot of people just need to get past the hump of, I don't think my music's good enough or, you know, like, Oh, this won't get any listens, you know? And I feel like it's, it's more about, that's a selfish way to look at it because I feel like even if it gets 10 plays or, you know, whatever plays, it's still, I, you know, I consider like, you know, like everyone that listens to a song, I feel like they're being helped in some way kind of, kind of thing. So it's like, you know, one listen could, you know, even if you get 10 listens on a song, one of those people could, you know, it could strike a chord with them really hard and they could like, it could be their favorite song or like, and I'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent here. So sorry, but it's like, um, you know, music, music can just kind of, you know, it can put you in a specific time and place. Right. So even if you're driving like down the highway or something and you're not really listening to like your favorite songs, but something pops on and like, there's like an aroma in the air or like you're with your best friends or like, you know, you're with your girlfriend or something like that. And then, you know, you may, you may not hear the song again for like another year or so, but once you hear that, you instantly are brought back to a time and a place. And even if it's, even if, you know, your song only has 10 listens, you know, every time that one person may listen to it again, it could bring them back to that very specific, you know, moment, either good or bad. But that's, that's what I think is just so cool about music in general is the streams don't really matter. You know, it's really the memories that kind of, are ingrained into the music i feel like but that anyways that's a long way to answer it but yeah uh like 2020 is kind of when i when i want to start releasing that new type of music if that makes sense <laughs> i think everyone can relate to that too everyone has at least a few songs out there where they listen to them and it takes them back to a specific memory or a specific place or something yeah no totally i mean it's it's i mean it's it's almost like a loss for words because it's crazy because right when you said that i can think of I didn't start going to Berkeley, so I went to a different school before. And there's this one song um, called "Love Me Back" by Ritual, and I would listen to it like every day, walking to my first like radio station DJ job. And I can just I can like smell like the I can smell the walk <laughs> I can smell the walk, and I can uh I can like I can feel like it's just weird. It's like almost like giving like chills a little bit. And I'm sure like you know you or like anyone you know has like a song they can just think of that kind of brings them back. Or if you heard it, it would just like bring you back, which I think is really cool. But yeah, definitely, definitely a really cool experience there. And the chills, I love the chills. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah the hair, the hair sticking up. Yeah, it's cool in here now. Yeah, and you do have uh, like a saying that's related to your brand. That's no genre, just feelings. My yeah. Question. So yeah, I mean, so that that's kind of how I like to look at it because I feel like once you kind of pigeonhole yourself into a genre, I feel like it's not 
I mean, it's definitely good for branding and stuff. You know, like obviously everyone knows that, you know, like Excision's like a dubstep DJ, right? Or a dubstep producer. Like everyone knows, well, I guess not really anymore, but like Elenium's like future bass, melodic bass or whatever, which is okay. But I feel like the music you make should not reflect a genre you're trying to make. It should reflect how you're feeling and like the emotions you're having. Because, you know, like I, you know, I could release a future bass song, right? But it's not, I wouldn't call it a future based song. I'd call it like, you know, this is like my emotional, whatever, you know, like whatever song. And then like, if I have a house song, it's like, you know, this is my chill song or like, you know, so it's like, I, I kind of like, I really, at least for me, I feel like it makes way more sense to kind of categorize by like emotion or feelings. And like, not, you don't even need to really put it into words, right? You know, it's not like one of those things where I'm releasing a happy song or like, because you know, like everyone can hear it. And it can make them feel a different way, especially, you know, like depending on where they are in their life and like what they're doing. So I just don't really like the whole genre thing, even though I understand it. But for me, it's like I make so many different types of music, so many like different feelings and emotions that I just kind of like saying, you know, I don't really make a genre, right? It's, you know, I make so many genres, but the feeling, I may, I create feelings, not genres. So it's like, um, I guess that's, that's really the best way to describe it without going like down like some random pigeonhole, but yeah. And in, in essence, yeah, no genres, just feeling. So it's kind of like a good way to kind of, um, you know, shorten it up. Yeah, man. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your workflow? Like how do you go about creating a song? Yeah, dude. So this is, this is, so it kind of all starts differently. So, I mean, a lot of the times it, it all starts with an inspiring sound. So, um, it, it, it's really different every time, but what I really what I've been doing lately is I'll get a drone or an ambience, either one that I've created or on splice, like you know, literally just like, for example, like you know, all right, I have a D major ambience playing out, so it's just playing you know D F sharp A or whatever, and then I have like a my method is kind of get an ambience and get a chord structure. So I really like finding like the chords first. So I'll do you know. I usually just get like a big serum, like Reese bass, like a, like a roar, you know, kind of like a deep bass. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of fiddle around until I find a really good chord progression that I like. And then from there, once I have like the songwriting structure, I guess you could call it. Um, because, you know, I feel like songwriting and, and kind of arrangement is as important as like sound design choices and stuff like that. Because, you know, if you have really bad chords or a really bad, you know, like baseline or whatever, then like changing the sounds isn't going to make it sound better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after I have like the chords or, you know, I guess the basic structure, it, it kind of depends on how I'm feeling. A lot of the times recently I've been working on the verse and like build first and then going to a drop just because I feel like whenever I start with the drop first, it, I feel like it ends up being too low energy and then I make the drop the verse and then I like build up again. Cause I'm, I just always want to like go more and more, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, usually dude, it's just like an ambience. You start with something like a drone get a bass in there. Then you start building your chords, you know, adding like your, you know, flourishments or whatever. And then it's, you know, adding percussion and then, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then sometimes I flip the script completely and I just do like, I'm a drummer, right? So I started playing drums when I was like three or four. So I hear rhythm in like everything. It's like, so for me, one of the most important elements in music is, is the drums and the rhythm, right? So it's like, how is the kick working with the bass? How are the percussion working with the snare? All that. So a lot of times what I've been doing recently is actually starting with a drum track, like just programming drums like throughout. So I mean like start, usually I'll start with the drop, 
for drums because I know what I want them to be. And then I'll go ahead and do like the verse and, and um, you know, and obviously make changes after the synths and, you know, vocals are down and everything. But um, I really like starting with drums because um, I feel like, you know, if you, you can always change like the chords and stuff to a song, right? And you can always change like that. But if you change the drum pattern and stuff, it changes the vibe like completely. You know, if you're at like 150 BPM, like making a trap song or something, and you go like double time and make like speed house, <laughs> you know, like four to the floor, that's going to change it so much differently. You know, that's going to be way different than having like, you know, halftime like trap pattern, right? But if you change the chords around, it's going to change like, it's going to change it, you know, slightly like the feeling and the vibe of it, but it won't change like the track itself. So I feel like, um, you know, starting with drums is, is another cool thing for me. And then <laughs> my kind of third way of starting a track is I'll take an acapella, either of a song I'm working on or one of my own songs or even a, just one of my favorite songs at the time. And I'll produce a song around that. I kind of started as a remix. Um, you know, that way you already have a really good vocal sitting on top of it. So you kind of, you know, know where to take the melodic structure and stuff like that. And then after that, I'll just delete the acapella and then just send it to a singer or, you know, write something over it. And, you know, that way you have a full track done to an actual acapella. Um, and then you kind of just get different vocals on it. And I feel like that is probably the most efficient way to finish a song or to, to I guess, to start slash create a song. But um, yeah, dude, it really just depends on, on how I'm feeling that day. But I would say more recently than not, I've been starting with drums a lot which I don't really know if it's helped my workflow necessarily because I'm, I'm very picky with it. But um, yeah, I, I would say it's kind of disorganized uh, or I guess organized chaos a little bit for me, at least <laughs> specifically. Yeah. It sounds very, pretty organized uh, compared to the people I spoke with, especially. Really? Think so? Everyone, okay. yeah. I guess that's a good. Way. It's interesting. Yeah, I like yeah. the approach though. Yeah. Oh, okay, so, well, I'm glad, I'm glad someone does. <laughs> How about collabing with another artist how does that change up your workflow and how, how do you go about doing that yeah dude so it, it really depends on who it is and like you know if it's in person if it's online i would say a, mo- a majority of the collabs i've done have been online remote just because it's you know way easier to send stems and stuff you know nowadays um but it really you know it depends if they one use ableton or if they're two on a different daw um you know i guess for example my latest or i guess a collaboration i've been working on has been with uh, my friend Aaron Shirk and um, and Nicole singing. <laughs> Obviously, I feel bad because she sings all, but it just sounds so good. And then Jonathan Plummer, you know, he helped us write it. So it actually started out um, as a remix for this for this artist named Britt Laurie. And they were going to release it, and then they ended up kind of scrapping the remix EP. So we wanted to repurpose it. And, you know, I had this song that had another top line over it. And, you know, it was like, I wouldn't say it was great. Right. But I wouldn't say it was bad, but it wasn't something that I was making with the, you know, the intent to make an original song. So it's like, you know, it was kind of, it's, it was kind of made, you know, as a remix for a purpose, you know, for playlists for, you know, whatever. Um, and so then I, sh- I showed Aaron and Aaron was like, you know, dude, I really love a song. If you're not going to use it, we should work on it. And so what I ended up doing was instead of sending him, you know, all the stems separate or whatever, I just sent him the Ableton project, um, which is a lot easier than, you know, exporting stems and doing all that. Um, and, you know, from there, it's been like, you know, Discord sessions kind of getting on, you know, one of us sharing our screen and just kind of giving live feedback, um, but not like producing the whole song in front of each other, um, which I feel like is a great thing about electronic music in particular is that, you know, you can have like six or seven collabs going on and, you know, never have to, you know, waste your time or not, I guess not waste, but never have to spend your time like, you know, face to face, like nitpicking, like going through everything, you know, so it's, I, it's a really cool um 
it's a really cool thing there. But, um, and then, you know, sometimes if it's in person, you know, it's like it, I, I think for me in person is a slower process, um, for Purdue, for production collabs, like writing, I feel like it's way, way a thousand times easier in person. Cause you know, all you need is a piano, acoustic guitar and like someone who can sing. Um, but then, you know, once you do like your online collabs, you know, it's, you know, you can just kind of work on it at your own time, whenever you want, send the stems to them or send the project to them. They can work on it. You know, it's kind of out of your mind for the time being. And then once they send it back, you're in like work mode again. So, um, that's kind of how I handle, you know, online versus in person, you know, stuff. I definitely prefer writing in person, but I think for collaborating, I, for some reason, I just like being alone when I'm working on production. Cause I, I, I move like not slow, but I feel like each sound, like I'm kind of like a perfectionist. So which is kind of like a toxic trait, I feel like at this point, but, um, so yeah, I definitely prefer like kind of being on my own working like remotely and then being like, you know, just being really inspired, being like, okay, I have this sick thing. Let me send it over to them, see what they can do. Because, you know, I feel like a lot of, at least my inspiration, you know, when you're working on these, like, emotional songs come from not a place of necessarily feeling alone, but kind of, like, being alone and kind of being with your own, like, emotions, you know, because that's kind of how I feel like you get the the most authentic version of the song is by kind of, you know, being alone and kind of digging into, like, what you want to make. And then sending it off to someone else and like, you know, they're in their, they're in their own headspace and they're figuring out what they want to do. And it's kind of like a cool, it's really, really cool thing to see a song come together that way. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, you probably create a lot of songs and you don't release all of them. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yo, yeah. What? I mean, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just wondering what, like, how do you decide if you want to scrap a song and like, what percent do you actually end up releasing? Oh, dude, yeah. So, I mean, for me particularly, I'd probably release like 5% maybe of what I make. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just a lot of like, I feel like the one thing that I really need to get better, not get better at, but is like, is finishing ideas. And it's like, I have so many, like, even, I mean, I have like full length songs, but the one thing that I can't do is sing, right? Like, I, I can write like a little bit. Um, you know, I'm definitely getting better at the writing aspect and, you know, stuff like that. But like, I like can't dude even with auto-tune like I cannot I just don't ha- I just don't have a singer's tone <laughs> so it's like for me a lot of the reason songs don't get released is because I have an instrumental sitting around and it's I guess it's more so me just I guess like to be honest just being lazy <laughs> kind of mm. and not really like actively seeking out like a vocalist because for me I feel like the vocals on every song have to fit it perfectly mm. and if it's not like a perfect vocal or like even the t- timbre like I mean, even with my my song, What Would It Mean? Nicole was the seventh vocalist we did on that. Um, just because, like, it's such, like, a personal song. And it was, like, very, like, I don't know. For me, it just, it just had to fit right. If it didn't fit right, then it wasn't worth it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I release 5% of what I make. And, you know, I do, like, do a lot of production for, you know, other artists and help with that. So that does take like a lot of my time too. So I'd say that's like an, another excuse of why I don't release as much as I want to. But I think it's more of a mental thing for me because, you know, it's like I have all this, I even have, I, you know, I have like five songs that are finished. Right. But I feel like a, m- my mindset recently has been shifting from, okay, I really need to get this, you know, to release on like a label like monster cat or like, you know, of Mr. Suicide sheep or like that. And, you know, I just kind of want to start self-releasing them, you know, because yeah. you know what I said earlier, keeping the music to yourself is selfish. And um, 
I just feel like I need to I need to sit down and kind of figure out which ones I want to actually like for sure self release. Um, you know, I'm sitting on like at least twelve like completely finished tracks just unsigned right now, just trying to figure out what to do with them. And like, you know, dude, every producer has like like hundred like hundreds of demos like halfway done, three quarters done. So it's just, and then you know, then then the argument becomes, okay, do I want to keep these for myself or do I want to like pitch them to other artists or do I want to sell them or do I want to, you know? So it's like every day, you know, it's like creating like two or three ideas and then figuring out what to do with them. But I would say, and I'm, I'm kind of using this interview to hold me accountable is I need to start finishing the, the unfinished demos and I, I'm going to start either sending out the finished demos or the finished songs or just start releasing them. And I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to cl- clip this moment. So I yeah, hold man. myself. That. <laughs> good, good. Uh, what's yeah, the process for releasing on a label? I heard it takes a lot longer than you were saying. Oh right? yeah. So yeah, dude. So, and that was actually what caught me by surprise at first. So, um, and you know, it does depend what type of label you're releasing on. Like, and you know, in EDM labels, I like to break them up into like you have the indie labels slash like YouTube labels. So we're talking like Wave Music, Mr. Suicide Sheep, and these are labels that aren't owned by an you know a DJ or a producer. And then you have like the other side of EDM labels, which are like you know Ophelia, which is Seven Lines, or you know have like Subsidia, you know which is Excision, um, you know Cyclops, which is you know Subtronics or whatever. So you have like the two sides of the EDM labels, right? So you have the artist labels, and then you have like the YouTube labels. What I what I have found personally is that the YouTube labels take a lot longer because they have a lot bigger catalog. You know, they're pushing out like six or seven songs every week, you know, even more. And then for like, you know, the artist labels, they're kind of a little bit more selective on what they release. Um, not, I wouldn't necessarily say that that means the quality is better. I just think that it's just they have more of a specific sound, right? Because like, you know, if you think of Subtronics, you know, you're going to think of, you know, obviously dubstep, like kind of, you know, that kind of not book stuff, but you know, like you, you just, you can, you can hear like what a Subtronic song sounds like. Right. And you can kind of hear the sound of his label. And, you know, like I have a song coming out on Ophelia in January uh, with my friend Kydra, you know, which is seven lines of one. Like you could like pigeonhole that into like, you know, melodic bass, but you know, this time they're kind of keeping that melodic bass vibe, but they're doing like a DMB like album thing. So it's like, it's going to be on there. And it's like, um, that process of the Ophelia track was like, we sent it three weeks ago and they sent us back contract said we'll release it in January. So that's what, like three months, maybe two and a half, three, three and a half when I'm releasing, you know, when I released, uh, you know, for example, this, my song, love you better on, on Suave, which is like a house label. We signed the song in April and it came out the next January. So that's like eight months. And then, you know, when we signed, when we signed my song, what would it mean to wave music? We signed that in it's like February and that came out in October. So it's almost as if you kind of need to plan your releases, right? Because it's like, you know, I have a few releases lined up for next year, but by the time we get there, that may not be the music I'm currently making. Or you're like, you know, that may not be, you know, how I'm feeling in the moment. That may not be like my sound or whatever anymore. So that's, I feel like another big reason why it's so hard to release music, like self-release and stuff, or like, you know, or even release those songs. Cause you know, I have a lot of songs that sound like I made them six months ago compared to what I'm releasing now. It's because I did make them six months ago, you know, but like in the sound the song that just came out, like, you know, like my song, hope, you know, which is more like, that's kind of more of what I'm leaning towards, but 
I still made that song like seven months ago, you know, and it's like the stuff I'm making now that I'm like, oh, dude, I want to release now. For me, I'm kind of scared that it won't fit into like the arc of the arc of, you know, what Harris is, right? Because it's like, which I feel like kind of contradicted what I said earlier, but I feel like that is an important thing for branding is, is not, not like, you know, releasing the same thing, but, but being consistently keeping it interesting. Right. So it's like, you know, for me, I would never want to release like, you know, say like, or like, look at like sudden death, right? Like he would, he wouldn't release just randomly like a uh, uh, radio pop song. Right. <laughs> After releasing like, you know, hardcore, like death step for like four years. Right. So it's like, but he may eventually get there. Like, you know, who knows, right. If he does, but if he does, it'll be a slow, slow, like so insanely slow arc of like getting there. Um, which, you know, I wouldn't, I, you know, I don't really do that drastic of change, but, um, yeah, definitely having like those long layover periods between signing sign date and release date is definitely like a mental like game. You have to play with yourself and figure out like, um, that's why, you know, it's, it's good to get those bit batches of songs signed at the same time and to kind of plan them out for the year or else you're kind of going to be like scrapping by, like, <laughs> like I've been trying to figure out, but yeah. So in short, definitely over a few months, sometimes it could take like up to a year depending on like, you know, what label and, and how busy they are and stuff. Do you see benefits of working with the label? Yeah. So I think I, so, I mean, now, nowadays it like, you know, it, I mean, it is so e- well, I guess not easy, but it's so more accessible to kind of blow up on TikTok and kind of promote yourself. Um, but I feel like you can still do that even when releasing a song through a label and you know what the label is going to bring to the table. Every label is different, right? <clears throat> like I will say, there's been, there's been some I released on that I really enjoyed um, because, you know, along with my promo, they also, you know, have access to all these, like, you know, their personal Spotify playlists or, you know, like, or like big YouTube channels or, you know, like blogs and stuff like they, there's just some labels that do a lot more for you than others. Um, and so I guess the benefit is like, I like to tell people like, if you can get a label release for like your first releases, um, uh, or not first releases, but like, if you can get them like, you know, in general, like you should obviously just be releasing music, but. I would say always go like, you know, always go with it because here's the thing. It's like at this stage in like my career and like, I feel like a lot of other people's career, it's like you don't make money from streaming really. So it's like giving away 50% to label isn't going like, you know, if they can get you like a hundred thousand streams on your song and you're giving them 50% of like the 20 cents you're going to make, then, you know, that's a good trade off than, you know, keeping 40 cents and, you know, only getting like 300 streams or, you know, whatever. So it's like, and I guess that's the biggest thing about labels. They, a lot of them like own playlists or, you know, they have access to them, which not only introduces you to new fans, you know, it gets your song like streams and listens. Um, and then, you know, the more exposure you get, I wouldn't necessarily say more exposure is good because a lot of the times the listeners don't convert to actual fans. So, you know, you could have like 200 K listeners one month because your song got on a big playlist. And then the month after, like you have a million song or a million streams, but you have like, 2000 monthly listeners because they didn't convert to fans. So it's kind of like devil's advocate there. Um, but I would say that, I mean, the biggest benefit to releasing this label is just the network they have. And like, you know, they'll send out, you know, sometimes promo packages to DJs, you know, they can help you get on radio, um, you know, because they want the song to do well because, you know, it's a business and, you know, they're only going to make money if you're making money and, you know, they're going to take 50% of it of what little money it is, but, you know, they're releasing, you know, like a hundred songs a year, you know, they're making decent amount of passive income so you know they're gonna want to push that you know passive income baby they're gonna want to uh push that income so yeah i mean it's it's really at the end of the day it's like it's it's almost like hiring a business partner and you're just giving them 
what little money you'd make in, in in exchange for, you know, streams and potential fans, which I think is is more important than the money at this stage. Yeah, man. And the labor does a lot of marketing for you, but I'm assuming you also do marketing yourself, right? Like you make content and stuff. Yeah. So it really, it really depends on the label. So, I mean, like there's some labels that will, you know, like they'll make you a graphic, they'll make you a Spotify thing. You know, they're actually like, act like they're invested. And then there's other labels who will like tell you, oh, you know, we're not going to put your song on a playlist, you know, unless you do this or that or this or that. Um, but you know, a lot of it does come from self promo. Um, and I would say that's like one one thing I've definitely been slacking on, especially my latest song, is just because, dude, it's so hard, you know, like to create the music, to write it, and then after you make it, and all this stuff to to need to spend like an hour like editing videos and like doing all this stuff, and it's like you get kind of sick of the song because you hear it so much. To be honest, so it's like you know, like when I put out a song, I'm like, dude, like I want everyone else to listen to it. I don't want to listen to it a hundred thousand more times again. At least at this moment, you know, I got to give it like a week buffer period, but um. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the self-promo comes from, you know, TikToks, Instagram, you know. And um, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, it's obviously the best way to market yourself. It's just self-promotion. Um, I feel like it's something I necessarily haven't got quite the hang of yet um, just because I dread it so much. But that being said, also going to use this to keep me accountable and start uh, <laughs> start doing a little bit more of that. I just got to, you know, everyone has their own content style and, you know, it's it's easier to you know, to mess around and, you know, wait till you find one that works for you, you know? So I just got to keep, uh, yeah, keep messing around. But yeah, every label is different. Yeah, man. And you also have management, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So my guy, Charlie, yeah, Charlie manages me and he's, uh, he's great. He gets like, you know, helps out with shows, gets, you know, he's more of a great friend than anything too. I mean, you know, but yeah, yeah. Working with, uh, with Charlie at CG management. Yeah, man. What has that done for you? And like, when did you decide that you needed management? Yeah. So th- this is like a tough question. Cause so after, so, so first off I met him because he manages my friend Diego who goes by bloom line. And then he also, he's a, he's a, he's from Boston, you know, if you're, you know, he's like a, you know, a Boston guy, he's got the accent and stuff. So, <laughs> but, um, I met him because he works for wave music. You know, he's a, he was an A&R there still is. Um, and I sent him, you know, I just randomly remember seeing on Facebook one day, he posted and said, you know, like, you know, EDM artists, send me your songs. You know, I want to get them signed, blah, blah. So I sent him, what would it mean? Which is like my first label release. It's like three years ago. And, um, he really liked it. He ended up getting assigned to the label. <laughs> and, um, it's still like my biggest song to date. Well, not biggest, but it's like my favorite, I think song to date. And, um, that's kind of how I started talking to him. And then, you know, it was more conversations of, Hey dude, I have this other song. Could you get it? Like, could you, would you mind sending it around anywhere? He's like, yeah. And then, you know, he'd get it signed and I'd be like, Hey dude, like, is there any way you could help me get this show? Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. He'd be like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know? And just basically he was just so willing to help out, you know, whenever, you know, whenever I needed it, you know, and I, you know, he helps out like tons of artists, you know, whether, you know, you're signed to, you know, his management or not, or, you know, whatever. Um, but then there came a point where I was like, you know what? I'm just making music at such like a high rate, like, like high volume. Like I'm making so much music that I'm, I'm just kind of becoming disorganized. You know, I'm like, you know, if he's, if he's helping me like get every single song signed, then like maybe we should talk about, you know, actually, you know, managing, you know, so it's not just like him doing favors for me, you know, all the time. It's like him, like, you know, it's kind of more of like a partnership. Um, and then, so, you know, basically from there, you know, I just, I, he actually did end up, signing my friend Aaron as well 
working with him for a little bit. Um, and then that's kind of around the same time that I reached out to him. We, you know, we'd been talking for like a year or two and I was like, Hey, do you just want to like kind of make this official so we can, you know, hey, I, it's like not like, Oh dude, can you do a favor for me? It's like, you know, we're kind of got kind of, kind of like work as a team and kind of, you know, do all that together. So. Nice, man. So it just developed naturally. It sounds like. Yeah, it was, it was a very natural, slow process. You know, it, it wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, I need a manager. You know, it was like, it was kind of like we just fell into that role with each other. Um, and, you know, it's, and I, th- you know, I think at least, you know, managers are important, right? Because, you know, they, they kind of, they kind of take not the mundane tasks out, but they take like, you know, it's, it's, it's just another person who basically believes in you wants, you know, they want you to be successful, right? That, that the most important thing in the industry is to surround yourself with people who want you to be successful and who want to be successful themselves, right? So it's like yes. kind of surround yourself with good, you know, good-hearted, you know, good-headed people. So definitely, uh, definitely found a good one there with a, you know, just that natural connection with Charlie. Yeah, man. Uh, I want to talk about what is the future look for you? What, what are you planning like five years from now? Where do you want to be? Yeah, dude, that's crazy. I mean, like, so my dream is to have my own, like, electronic live setup and, like, you know, do a tour, but have, like, you know, you know, I make visuals and stuff, too, so, like, do, like, custom visuals and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, like, I really, you know, honestly, dude, I just want the future to kind of, you know, just to bring, like, happiness, you know, and just to bring, you know, like, peace and, you know, like, stuff like that. So, to be honest, like, in the musical sphere, like, there's so many things that I want to do. You know, like, I love producing for other people. I love making pop music, you know, I love writing, but I also really love performing, you know, I really love, you know, getting on stage and kind of, you know, sharing that emotion with people. So, you know, in like five years, you know, I just, I still hope I'm just doing, you know, I can do music full time, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm going to be doing like a different, you know, asset of things. But in terms of the Harris, like, you know, the Harris sound, I'm really hoping that I can develop, you know, because I have a live show ready to go, you know, I have, I have like, you know, a whole, not just DJing, you know, I have like a whole like instrumental setup. Um, so I'm just hoping that, you know, I can, I can continue to grow and kind of, you know, introduce people to kind of the emotions I'm feeling and, uh, kind of just share that, you know, with people. So, you know, but yeah, definitely, definitely want to be on stage and kind of, you know, just sharing that with everyone. It's kind of my, you know, my main goal, but to be honest, you know, it's not something, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, I'm pushing for it, but it's not something I'm going to force. So it's, you know, if I end up you know, just kind of taking a more like, you know, background pop production route or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is be, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, as long as I can do music and, you know, kind of make other people happy and make, you know, and make other people kind of really like not question, but really like think about, you know, something a little bit more deeper than maybe they would have, then, you know, I'll, I'll be feeling good. So, yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, EP coming out next year, hopefully, um, just a bunch of music, hopefully a lot of shows. I really do want to have my own show. Like, I want maybe in Nashville or maybe Boston or something. Because, you know, I have a live show, like, ready to go, like I said. But, you know, with, with like, when you're actually, like, doing, like, a live electronic performance, it's really hard to, like, get on a bill with, like, a touring DJ and do that as, like, an opening set. Just because, like, you know, you got to bring, like, all of your stuff. So, definitely want to throw a show, you know, next year or so. So, but, yeah, it's probably, like, the, the immediate future for me. Yeah, man. And, Max, where can people find you if they want to listen to your stuff? Yeah, dude. So, I mean, it's, I go by Harris. It's on all platforms. Uh, it's an H4RRIS. So, you know, it's, it's Harris, but with a four in there, cause you know, going to be, going to be a little bit quirky and, uh, you know, Harris music on Instagram, um, pretty much Harris music everywhere. And then, uh, just on Spotify, Apple music, it's just going to be Harris, but, um, yeah, 
pretty much he- hear me wherever your heart desires. <laughs> yeah, man. What do you want to promote? I know you said you had a, potentially an EP coming out next year. Yeah, so I mean, I'm planning early next year, like a four or five song EP. It's it's more experimental. It's like a really like singer songwriter folk type stuff with like you know heavy electronic elements. Um, but yeah, that's going to be you know hopefully coming out at least by April. Um, you know, I actually have a vocal recording session for that later today, so we're hopefully going to get a few tracks done there. Um, and you know, other than that, I would just say you know just be on the lookout for new music. You know, I'm always posting. Um, you know, kind of little edits and remixes, you know, um, not going to be releasing any more originals this year, but next year kind of, you know, trying to stack up the calendar for one a month. But, um, yeah, so yeah, I would say, you know, if you're looking forward to one thing, just look forward to an EP next year. It's going to be, um, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, man. What's the name of the pop duo again that you do? Yeah. So the pop duo is called Playhouse. It's just Playhouse one word. And that's it. It's me and my friend, Jonathan Plummer, just making pop and stuff. Oh Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Thanks for taking the time again, Harris. Uh, this has been really yeah, insightful dude. for me, I'm sure for anyone else listening too. Yeah, dude. Appreciate the, uh, taking the time, Ted. It's uh, really good to meet you, dude. You too. Yeah, nice to meet you, Max. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Just search What We Started EDM. If you would like to reach out to us, shoot us a DM on Instagram. It's at whatwestarted.edm. Thanks again. Catch you next time.